you guys this morning, and uh, it's such an honor and a privilege. I'm not too sure how many of you remember who I am. Way back in the day, we did Nights of Fire here one night. Our, our whole band from Kitchener came, and it was pretty awesome. Had a great time. But the church didn't look anything like this. And uh, it was great to walk in and see what God uh, has been doing at your church and the hospitality of your pastor, his wife, and our good friends, uh, Tracy and Ronnie. And uh, it has been just a glorious uh, evening for us. We're up in a beautiful bed and breakfast down the road, and it's just like, he's just treated right in this place. And, uh, and let me tell you this, I mean, I, I've been, I go to many churches, and I've been to all across uh, Canada, United States, but when you walk into a church and you feel at his home, like I did when I walked into this place this morning, uh, there was one gentleman that says, I think I, I remember you. you, your face looks, remember, just like, you're a TV on TV, I said, oh no, not TV, I've just been here before, and uh, but thank you. <laughs> anyway, and, and, uh, but it's just so good to be with you guys this morning. And I, I just want to share my heart with you. And uh, great worship, Peter. That was awesome worship. And uh, I just, I really believe this church has it. You know, when I see what God is doing in your pastor's heart and hearing him, uh, we shared last night and just talking, I really believe that the best is yet to come for this church. I really believe that. And I pray that God expands these walls and people will come from Hagersville and, and Cayuga and the surrounding towns and people will find Jesus because that's what it's all about. Amen? So uh, let me just begin. I love, I love when I preach. I love to hear people laugh. I don't know what it's. It's very exhilarating for me. And, uh, and I have some funny, uh, funny things I want to tell you this morning. So I have a little humor this morning I want to share with you. It's, 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 if you are Canadian, you'll understand these. So if you know you're Canadian, you know you're Canadian when. If someone in, uh, in Home Depot store offers you assistance and they don't even work there, you may live in Canada. If you've worn shorts and a parka at the same time, you may live in Canada. If you've had a lengthy telephone conversation with someone who dialed a wrong number, you may live in Canada. If you measure distance in hours, you just might live in Canada. If you have switched from the heat to AC in the same day and back again, you just may live in Canada. If you drive uh, 90 kilometers an hour through two feet of snow during a raging blizzard without flinching, you know you live in Canada. If you install security lights on your house and your garage but leave both doors unlocked, <laughs> you might live in Canada. <laughs> if you carry jumper cables in your car and your wife knows how to use them, you may live in Canada. If your speed limit on the highway is 100 kilometers an hour and you're going 120 and everyone is still passing you, you know you live in Canada. If driving is better in the winter because the potholes are filled with snow, you may live in Canada. If you know all four seasons, almost winter, winter, still winter, and road construction, you may live in Canada. If you have more miles on your snowblower than your car, you may live in Canada. And if you actually understand these jokes, then you definitely live in Canada. That's <laughs> so funny. doesn't feel like much winter out there today. It doesn't even feel like Christmas, but it is a Christmas season, and we're here to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And we love the season. We love the music. Uh, we love the atmosphere it creates. Uh, children are anticipating that morning when they get up, and the gifts are going to all open, and families have come together, and uh, it's just that season where we rejoice. We love to sing. We love to celebrate. It's the one day a year where the world stops, and they celebrate the birth of our Lord. I love Christmas. I love 
Christmas carols. I love everything. There's just an ambiance that, that, that Christmas seems to create all around, whether it be in the stores, whether it be in your home. doesn't matter where you are. Christmas brings a different feeling in this time of year. And I do love the carols. In particular, there's one carol that I absolutely love and adore. And every time we sing it at church or we're on the road or whatever, and I hear, Oh, Holy Night. There's just something about that particular carol that just begins to stir uh, within my heart. And maybe it's one of those carols that you uh, love and enjoy as well. So I want to give you a little bit of history. But I'm not too sure if you knew where the carol comes from. And I love doing these types of studies and figuring out what happened, how was it composed, where did it come from, what's the history. So I want to take just a few moments before we get into the message this morning uh, about what O Holy Night was all about and where it originated from. Uh, the song was written somewhere in the mid-1800s. Uh, and what's interesting about this particular carol, uh, there was a parish priest. His name was uh, Placide Capot. And uh, he was a French uh, merchant. He was a poet. And uh, this priest went up to Placide and said, Hey, Placide, I would really love if you could take uh, Luke chapter 2 and you could write a poem regarding this particular portion of Scripture. The interesting thing about Placide is he was not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he was known as a bit of a hellraiser in his community. He was very far from God. He didn't know who God was. But this priest wanted him to take his poetic gifting and to write a, a, a poem from Luke chapter 2. And so Placide went and he wrote the poem and he loved it so much that he went and told a friend of his who was also not a believer if he would put music to it. Could you put, do something with this poem that I have written? And he goes and he puts music uh, to this poem. And this song became so popular that it ran through the Catholic church. It was played all over sorts of different churches until a few years into it, they realized who composed it, where it came from, and they tried to pull it away. They tried to recant because of who wrote it because he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't like, pull this out. We can't be playing. But it became so popular that there was nothing that they could do. And it's still massively popular today. Another interesting fact about this carol, five decades later, in about 1906, Reginald uh, Fasedin was a 33-year-old Canadian uh, professor who did what many people thought was absolutely impossible. And he took out this makeshift generator from his garage. He ended up working with it, plugged a microphone in it, and he broadcasted the very first AM uh, across the history of the world. And it was on Christmas Eve of 1906. He took Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and he began to speak into this microphone and broadcast this chapter across the world. And it said this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census that should be taken of the entire Roman world, and he read the entire Christmas story. Then he took his violin and played into the microphone, and for the very first broadcast across the airwaves uh, in the history of the world, O Holy Night, begin to play. I'd like you to take a look at this video of this classic, of this classic song. I promise I won't cry. And uh, just watch this this morning, and let's just uh, hear the song before I get into my message. Oh, holy night, 
does for you folks, man, but I hear that and just something inside me just begins to turn and begins to churn. 
You know, we don't know what it was like to be really on that holy night when Christ was born, but I hope this morning the message that I bring forth will challenge your hearts as we speak about a new and glorious morn. I don't know about you, but the manger scene seems to draw a lot of emotion for me. We can drive around our neighborhoods. We'd see some people will have the major seat outs in their yards. You might go into your own home, into your, the churches that maybe you visit over the Christmas season. But for me, the major scene was huge because we as little kids, my brother and I, my mom would go and she'd grab the major scene and she'd grab it and pull all the pieces out and put them on the table and we'd take Mary and, and Joseph and, and then we'd grab the angel and put little baby Jesus in the manger and then you'd grab the, the, uh, the sheep and you'd grab, you know, whatever animals, the, the cattle that were lowing. I don't know what lowing means, but uh, the cattle were, they were lowing. We know that for a fact. And it draws this real emotion out of us. But I honestly think that the manger scene, as meaningful as it can be this morning, it actually does a little bit of a disservice to us in the understanding with what that night was really like. Because the reality is, if you think about it, here was this teenage girl that was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, not married, engaged to her likely teenage fiance and picture this with me this morning this donkey and they and they traveled she's nine months on this donkey ladies let's think it about this morning and they traveled somewhere between 120 to 200 kilometers to their destination now I remember when my wife was pregnant uh, with her our first child Alyssa and uh, man I took her to the hospital in a Ford Taurus that was bad enough Okay, and, but could you imagine going on a donkey, 120, 200 kilometers to a place where they come looking for a place to stay, but there's no room in the inn for them. And they offer to what most, most scholars would think would be a cave of some sort where animals would take shelter from the storm. And, and they were in the cave, and this is where, you know, Mary gives birth, an environment that wasn't really great probably the worst environment possible for a woman to have to give birth with animals all around and no epidural and a pretty unsterile, I'm sure. A little girl screaming, her brains out, animals watching. Not a pretty sight. I remember when Julie was in the hospital and it was our first child, and Alyssa was being born. And, you know, you go through that whole episode where those, those Lamaze classes, I honestly think those Lamaze are just a waste of time for me. I was there. I was doing the <laughs> trying to help my wife through this, this pregnancy. And all of a sudden, she's like, no, I don't want the epidural. I want to have a, a natural pregnancy. And then those last moments, she's like, give me the epidural. And she's calling on the, uh, the anesthesiologist to come give the epidural. And uh, it was too late She'd gone too far into the, to the delivery, and uh, she grabs a hold of the scruff of, I mean, I'm not kidding you folks. I'm not exaggerating. She grabbed the scruff of my shirt, and she pulled me right into her face, and she said, pray in tongues now. <laughs> I will never forget that. And, uh, and as a good husband, you just, you just do it. You don't, uh, yeah, just do it. And uh, I just began to pray, and then I'm like, man, man, the baby's coming. You know what's happening? And I'm, I'm close, and I did, you know, exactly what my, my dad told me and always taught me, you know, to get my butt down and don't let that ball get between your legs, and I'm there already. No, I wasn't like that at all. But I remember at that point in my life when Alyssa was born, I felt so close to God. I felt so close to heaven in that moment of my life. 
as I held that newborn uh, in, my, in my arms. It was such a holy moment. But thinking about Bethlehem and, and the chaos and the screaming and, and the panic and it's, it's taxis and, and couldn't find a place and, 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 and here's Mary inside this little cave giving birth to the Son of God. And, and I think the cool thing as studying for this morning, I was remembering between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you may not know this, but there was a period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They say around 400 years of silence where God didn't speak. There was no prophet giving a word. There was nothing happening. And, and God's people like, God, where are you? Have you abandoned? Lord, where are you? And then in Matthew, at that moment, that the baby was born, it was the first time that God spoke, but it wasn't in some loud prophetic voice. It was spoken in the cry that broke the night of a little baby that was born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ, Son of God, deity in human form, came into a world that was broken, a world that was weeping. And as that carol was sung this morning, the phrase I really want to look at from this carol was, it says, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Say weary world with me. Weary, you're going to see me do a lot of that, so just, just humor me and just uh, participate. You know, it's not about me. It's, not, it's about Jesus this morning, folks. I want your lives to be transformed in this place. If there's two words that can accurately describe our world today, I really believe it's a weary world. Would you not agree? I mean, in light of, I mean, even with a couple of days ago, that horrific uh, shooting in Connecticut, you know, we think, God, what is happening to our worlds? What's happening? What drives a 20-year-old young man to go in and do some horrific, you know, say his crime and destroy families at Christmas time? You just, well, God, what drives a person to do something like that? It's overwhelming. There's so much anxiety. What's going on in the economy? We hear about it all the time. Relationships are messed up. Every third person seems to be contracting some weird disease and families are struggling and families are breaking up. It's almost like we're fighting to stay above water in this weary world. And I just think so many people today can relate to that phrase, the, the weary world. But I love it doesn't stop there. It talks about this thrill of hope. Imagine in the chaos of a holy night, there's a thrill of hope that maybe, just maybe, those putting their faith in Christ, in God for centuries, had hoped that one day the Messiah would be born. The Messiah would come and deliver them. They were looking for this hope, this faith. They were looking for that thrill of hope. And I don't want you just to think about that holy night, but I want you to think about what happens the next day when the sun comes up, the Savior has been born, and on that new and glorious morn, everything is different because a day with Christ can change everything in your life. And I want to focus on that this morning, on a new and glorious morning. Taking you back into the Old Testament, in the book of Lamentations, if you have your Bible, but I do have scriptures for you. Uh, on the PowerPoint this morning, the context of Lamentations, it's about the year 586 B.C. Jerusalem fell and the people were distraught. Uh, you know, the prophet Jeremiah was lamenting. He was, he was crying. He was hurting along with everybody else. And he begins to just pour out his heart before God, the hurt that was in his heart in this text. But then in chapter 3, there's a distinction that takes place. And I want you to see this this morning. There's a big switch where he moves from his mourning to a moment of faith. 
And I love this. If your Bibles turn to uh, Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verse 20, and it says this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20, it says, I well remember them, and my soul is what? What does the word say? It says it's downcast within me. My soul is downcast within me. In other words, what he's saying, he's not putting his hands over his eyes and saying, no, 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 this isn't happening. I don't want to hear. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He, no, he's acknowledging that there's some significant life-altering difficulties that he is going through, that, that Israel is going through. And then he goes on in verse 21, and he says, yet I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I love this. I have, I have hope. I'm going to call this to mind. I, I know it's there, but, but it's not right there in the front of my mind. So I'm going to call it forth, in the, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to put it in the place in the front of my mind. I'm going to call it forth. I'm going to remember this truth. I will have hope uh, when no one else does, because I know this to be true. I call it to mind. And he goes on, and he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And I love that about God. He, he goes on to say, they are what? They're new every morning. God's mercy is new every morning. Then he begins to lose himself and he starts talking to God and he says, God, great is your faithfulness. I remind myself, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's amazing what a new day in Christ can bring. And I want to show you three things from this portion of Scripture that can bring you a thrill of hope this morning when your weary world is in darkness. So if you're taking notes, and I always encourage people, I'm sure your pastor does, take notes because what I say today, you will not remember 24 hours from now, I'm sure. Just take some notes because some of this is going to change. Someone has come into this place today. Your, your world is weary. You need to find that thrill of hope. And you've come into the right place this morning. So my first point out of this text this morning is a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. Not necessarily what you want, because what you need and what you want sometimes are two different things. But it's what you need. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24, it says, I say to myself. Now, how many times, folks, do you know you need to speak to yourself sometimes? You may not need to answer yourself, but sometimes you just got to speak to yourself. You got to preach to yourself. You got to give yourself some truth. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you've got to be the preacher around. You just need to open God's word and you call it to mind and you say to yourself and you remind yourself the word, the truth that God speaks. And he says, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will do what? I will wait for him. The Lord is is my portion. What does that mean? When we read the Lord is my portion, well, it could mean a number of different things. Some scholars, and I sort of tend to agree uh, with the meaning of this, refer back to the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and God would feed them the manna uh, from heaven and he would give them their daily portion of this manna. But they were instructed to take only what they needed for that day. They could not hoard. They could not keep what God had given them. Otherwise, it would rot. It would not do any good for them. They were, never, they were never supposed to hoard the food. It wouldn't last. It was if, and we know that God was trying to teach them that they need him every single day. It was new manna, new manna every single day. 
God was saying, you don't need any more than what I'm giving you. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it. That's not what you're supposed to do. It's new. God's mercies are new every single morning. Just like in the New Testament when Jesus taught us to pray. He said, give us what? Our daily bread. Because I need God every single day. Every day. I need his mercies every day. I need him every day. Love that song, You, that you sang this morning from Hillsong. Uh, that song just, just rattles my, my heart. I need you, God. I can't live without you. I need you every, in my weary world, God, when I can't find any, any answers, when I can't see past my, my, own, my own problems and when I'm going, God, I gotta turn to you. You are what I need every single day. And I call this to mind and I say to myself, the Lord is my portion because he is exactly what I need this morning. The good news is, and I want you to understand this this morning, is that God is already in your tomorrow. And he has everything you need for tomorrow and what tomorrow may bring. He is already there. If your marriage is struggling, what I hope you'll understand this morning is God is already in your tomorrow waiting for you. And he knows exactly what your marriage needs tomorrow. And God is there with new mercies that that new manna giving you what you need, not necessarily what you want. If you're weak today, God is already in tomorrow and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you are down and depressed, he is already in your tomorrow and he will be the joy and the lifter of your head. A new day with Christ always brings exactly what you need and what you need is the presence of God. Let me do a little side note here about worship. You've got to understand something in the area of worship. I've been leading worship for 20 years. It's my passion. I love worship. The moment that you were created, God dropped the DNA of worship into your heart. You were born to worship something, and you will worship something. I encourage you this morning, you worship your creator. You worship the God who created you, because all these other things that are temporary will not satisfy you like Jesus will. That DNA was placed in your heart for a purpose a specific purpose, and that was for you to worship your creator. A new day with Christ. His, his, his reality, his strength, his power, his goodness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. A new day with Christ. It brings exactly what you need. Second thing this morning is a new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. That's what the song says. It's a thrill of hope. In the weary world, it's the thrill of hope and faith when all we see is darkness all around us. It's the belief that there's a new morning coming in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of your darkness. There is a new morning coming. You just got to wait on it. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope, catch it, is in Him. Someone said this, and I think it's very, very interesting. We as people, we as humans can live 40 days or so without food. We can live eight days or so without water. We can live four minutes or so without oxygen. But we can only live a few seconds without hope. Without hope. I believe there are too many people today who are trying to survive with a very hope-deprived life. They're struggling to find places to, to put their hope. In fact, they're putting their hope in all the wrong places. We know that's even risky today to even try to, to put your hope in the stock market because you don't know what's going to happen there. 
And you can, and you can put your hope in your company, and, 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 and that company may just may let you down. You can put your hope in another person, but they're not perfect, and they may come through for you, but not in the timing or the way you expected. You put your hope in some outcome that you just need, and you may not exactly get what you thought you were going to get. And the reason is, is because we are putting our hope all in the wrong places. This morning, listen to me. And when we put our hope in the wrong places, we start to end up hopeless. And we become a weary world that wonders where is anything good because our hope is in the wrong places. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The scripture says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who uh, promised is faithful. Let us hold picture it. You got to hold on to it. You can't let it go, man. You got to grab a hold of it and you don't let hope go. Who is hope? Christ is hope. He is the hope of this world. Christians, believers this morning, whatever you're going through, those who don't know Christ, whatever you're going through, you got to hold on to hope. You can't let go of it. Don't let go of it. That's exactly what the enemy of your soul would want you to do, to keep you in an area of despair, that there is no hope, downward spiraling, to the point that you just completely give up. And it's completely opposite of what Christ is saying to us this morning. He's saying, hold on to hope. Don't let it go. Don't you dare. You grab a hold of it and you hold tight to that this morning. The evil one, the enemy is right there whispering lies into your ear. And what we need to do is the exact opposite. Let go of the fear. Let go of the anxiety. Let go of the stress. Let go of the pain. But Ken, you just think it's so easy. No, I know it's not easy. I've been there. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to live in a hopeless situation. But when I realized that I, I was, the scales were from my eyes and I saw Christ, I said, oh God, for 20 years, you know, I've served you for 20, well, actually a little longer than that, almost 30 years I've served you. I know every scripture. I know every worship course. I know every sermon. I know, I know, I know. But yet, God, I didn't know. And I wasn't applying that hope truly to my life. And God is saying this morning, you have hope. You've got to hold on to hope. And you've got to apply hope in order to get out of that darkness that you're in this morning. To this day, I still struggle over a tragedy. And some of you may have heard about this that took place about two and a half years ago in the Dominican Republic where I took a team of 24 uh, people uh, just after the earthquake in Haiti. And I took a team over there of 24 students and some adult leaders. And in the midst of that three days in, into my trip, first trip I've ever led, because I love missions, one of my students, a very dear friend, my, my son's best friend, his family, very close friends with us, the balcony he was on in the resort had a, fault, uh, fault, a faulty railing. And he leaned up against the railing. The railing snapped and he fell over thir- uh, three stories and hit the ground. My son and I were standing right there talking to him as it happened, and his body hit the ground right in front of us. I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I saw blood coming out of his mouth. I thought, oh God, what do I, I'm screaming for help. I'm over his body. He's, he's not responding. I'm thinking, God, what, what do I do? God, help me. God, this is, he's 15 years old. God, you, no, don't die. Please, God, this is not how I expected this to happen in this Dominican. God, you've got to help me. I was in a moment of desperation. I needed hope. I needed Christ. I needed him at that very moment. It was chaos. It was the longest night of my life. 
And we cried and we cried. We took him to the hospital, spent the night there, the longest night of my life. I mean, I left the hospital. I went back to the resort. And the thing I remember the most was not the night, but was the next morning. I remember getting up the next morning and, and, and walking around the resort. The birds were singing. The sun was cresting over the mountain, which was just behind our resort. It was a, it was a beautiful morning. And I walked around. I saw the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen in my life listening to the birds singing and the sun coming up over the horizon. I thought, man, if he could just see what this day had to offer and not be stuck in that hospital room near death. Brand new day, new hope, new life, new beginnings. The great part of this story is he survived. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Aspiring soccer player, a 15-year-old who was looking to, to do exploits for God, but I can tell you this much. He takes every single day and looks at things differently every morning he wakes up. He's thankful to God that he is alive. This young man takes every day as a brand new day of life, thanking God and continues to serve him faithfully today. He got it. The hope to keep going because his hope is in God. No, I'll tell you, there was moments in his life where it was like, God, I don't want to be in this wheelchair. This is not what I want to do. But God continued to work in a thrill of hope in his weary world. He began to rejoice and see what God could do in his life at this moment in the position that he was at. The darkness that surrounded him, the despair that filled his heart was turned to a thrill of hope once he realized what a new day in Christ could do for him. So you don't need to lose hope. Hold on to the hope that we profess I don't know this morning, I just want to, I want to hang there. There's somebody here this morning, you just need to hear this. Whatever you're going through this morning, don't you dare let go of hope. Because it could be in that moment where you give up. It might have just been a few more hours, a few more minutes, where Christ was going to come in and do the miracle that you needed. If you had just held on just a little longer to hope. Don't let go of it. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't cash it in. It may be dark for a while, but there's a new day coming. And it's amazing what a new day in Christ can bring. And my point number three this morning is a new day with Christ. It brings the help that you're seeking. Verse 26 says, it is good to wait. Sometimes you just have to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God's timing isn't always our timing, but all he says is just, just wait. I'll show up. I'll be, just, just, just wait. And some of you need the salvation of your souls this morning. You've walked into this place and you're in a dark place. You've, you think, wow, what are you talking about? I never, I never heard about this God or, or this Jesus or maybe just through a story or, or through the Christmas time. And maybe you've walked in and you are in darkness and you're, and you're looking for that hope. This morning we're presenting a God who loves you in your despair, in your darkness. And he is the help that you're seeking this morning. Some of you, you've already been born into the family of God. You need to be saved out of a difficult situation. Don't lose this thought this morning. You cannot fathom what a difference one day with Christ can make. I keep saying, I just want to get that thought into your head this morning. You can never, ever, ever put into the words, into words, the difference that Christ will make. Looking at three illustrations in the Bible, Lazarus 
in the New Testament who had been dead for four days. He was so dead that the King James said, he stinketh. Listen, when you stink, you know you're dead. You know, I mean, he said, man, this man stinks. You know you're dead when, you, when you've been stinking for four days. And everyone has given up hope, but Jesus shows up on the scene. And he looks at the stone, looks into the grave, and says, Lazarus, dude, it's time to get up out of that bed. So get up, and Lazarus walks out, and I'm here to tell you, Lazarus, if he was standing here today in front of you, would say, it's amazing the difference that one day with Christ, what it can make. There was a woman for 12 years who suffered with an issue of blood. For 12 years, imagine the pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the torture, the private suffering that she was for 12 years. God, please heal me, Lord, every day hoping for Christ to do something. And then one day, she grabs a hold of the hem of his garments and power flows and she is healed. I'm telling you, if she was here this morning, she would describe a difference that one day with Christ and what it can do for you. 38 years, this man, one man, born, unable to walk, laying at the pool of Bethesda, one day when Jesus came up, Jesus looked at him and said, man, pick up your walk. It's time, your mat, it's time to walk. And after 38 years being unable to walk, this man gets up. I would tell you this morning, if he was here standing beside me, he would say, it's amazing the difference that one day with Christ and what that would make. And some of you need to get this into your souls this morning. You're, you're in a weary world right now. And I'm telling you, there is a thrill of hope that will make your weary world rejoice. I pray that every time that that hymn or that carol is sung that when it gets to that line, you'll be reminded of this sermon that no matter what your weary world and what you're going through today, there is a thrill of hope because uh, there's a new morning. The next day, things could change in the blink of an eye as Christ comes in and grabs a hold of your situation. You may look at your marriage and think it could never be what it should be. I'm telling you that it's amazing the difference that one day with Christ can make it because a marriage that is built on the rock is a marriage that is solid as a rock. And I know that. 21 years my wife and I have been married. And if you think we've had it easy, you're wrong. Come on, married folks. You know what I'm talking about. It's not, marriage is work. It's work, and sometimes it's hard work. I've learned two words in the English language that have saved me in my marriage. Yes, honey. Yes, dear. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, guys. <laughs> but all kidding aside, don't ever think that whatever you're going through in your marriage, that God cannot redeem, because you can't imagine what one day, in the presence of an almighty God, what he can do to change what the situation that you're going through. Some of you, you might be sick in body and someone you love may be in sick in body. I'm telling you that we serve a God that is able to heal. And whether he heals you or doesn't heal the way we thought he should in the presence of God. And let me tell you, that was a big thing for me. When Danny fell, I had all the faith in the world to believe that God could heal him because I know he could. I know he's God. He could do anything. And I could never understand God with the faith of the people that are across this world, over 3,000 people on Facebook who put a, a, a word of encouragement or let you know that we're still praying, God, why? 
Why? And it, I'll tell you, this young man said to me one day, he goes, I'm actually tired of people praying for me. And I said, what? And he goes, I'm sick of people praying for my healing. Can't they just pray that God would use me just the way I am? And that was huge to me. I'm like, what? He goes, Ken, I, 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 God knows I want to be healed. But for whatever reason, he has chosen not to heal me at this time. So will God please use me the way that I am to touch people, to let them know that this doesn't define who I am? And someone needed to hear that some of the situations you go through, don't let those situations define who you are. That's a great tactic of the enemy. So the healing that we are praying for may not come in the way that we expect it to do. But as good as it's still amazing, the difference that one day in Christ can make. And some of you right now, man, there's that, there's that screaming, just like on that morning in Bethlehem. There's no epidural. The baby is coming. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this weary world, in the darkness of the night, you're reminded that because Jesus was born, you can have hope in the middle of your dark situation. Hope. Because a new day with Christ I'm telling you, it brings exactly what you need. It may not be what you want, but it's exactly what you need. A new day with Christ, it gives you hope to keep on going. A new day with Christ can help you, uh, uh, help bring you the help that you are seeking. Romans chapter 13, I'm going to close with this. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. For some of you, this has become a brand new favorite verse. It says this, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is near now, then when we first believed, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is all, do you hear? The night is nearly over. There's a new and glorious morning. The darkness is nearly done because the Son of God will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because the sun will rise again. And you are nearer to your salvation than you were a day before. Remember these words this morning. For some of you this morning, it could be the salvation of your souls. You came in, like I said, to this place you have no idea, but God for this appointed time brought you to King's Way to let you know that in your darkness, there's a way out. There's a thrill of hope. For some of you this morning, in some of the situations you're going through, you said, I pray a thousand times. Well then, a thousand and one, a thousand and two, a thousand and three. You just never stop praying. Your God hasn't forgotten you. Pastor Mark said, do you think that God would take your situation by surprise? You think that surprised God? What you're go no, God knew that. Sometimes you just need a good kick in the butt to be reminded about these things, you know? We think, oh God, you know, can you believe in God? Oh, I never knew, you know? And, and, and Pastor Mark reminded me of just some of the things he were talking about. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing, absolutely nothing. For some of you, the day is coming, the night is almost over. The sun always rises again. The Son of God is risen, and because he was born into this weary world, there is a thrill of hope. For yonder breaks in a new and glorious morn. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in your presence, that your spirit would minister to your people on this day. 
And every time, God, that we, we worship you, God, every time that we sing that carol, that, God, we would be reminded of that line over and over and over, that Christ can bring more than we can bring, than we could ever imagine. And so, God, I ask for your spirit to speak to us this morning as only you can do.